Do you guys know that there are 90 trillion atoms in one cubic centimeter of air? 90 trillion atoms in one cubic centimeter of air. I think that's a crazy, crazy thing. Did you know that there are 385,000 babies born every day? And um, did you know that there are 150,000 people that die every day? It's crazy. There's big numbers, right? A lot of people would just be like, man, wow, that's, that's crazy. 90 trillion atoms in a cubic centimeter of air just randomly floating around, bouncing off of each other. Like, that's insane. And then, whoa, like 385,000 babies born, like, randomly every day. Like, like well, that's a lot of babies, and then 150,000 people just die at random every day. It's crazy. Well, it's really not random at all. None of that, none of what I just said is random. In fact, it is all under the absolute control of God. All 90 trillion atoms in one cubic centimeter of the air and then everything else, every baby that's born, every person that dies, everything, random doesn't exist. It's not a thing. Because God oversees and he controls everything. And as Christians, if you, if you claim to be a Christian, if you profess faith in Christ, it's important that you are convinced and confident that God is ruling and reigning over all things. I mean, his word says this is true. That's what we're going to talk about here. We're going to open the Bible and talk about so many different scriptures tonight that, that say that this is true, that God is ruling and reigning absolutely over everything. You need to know God as he describes in his word. You don't need to know God through entertainment or through what your friends say or, or anything else other than what his word says. If you don't know God this way, if you try to figure out who God is some other way outside of his word, then you're at risk of having a low view of him. You're at risk of not knowing him properly. You're not, not knowing him correctly. You're at risk of a life of worry and anxiety and confusion. A misunderstanding of God, what really that's going to do is it's going to lead you into a life of sin. We don't want to misunderstand God. We want to know what he's, who he is as defined by his word. So you need to understand God. You need to understand God. At least as much as your finite human mind can understand God, we have to pursue knowing him and knowing who he is as much as we possibly can right now on the earth. And you come to understand him by reading his word. If you were with us last week, I announced that we're going to be starting a summer series on the attributes of God. And it's called Behold Our God. Each week we're going to look at a different attribute of God. We're going to see what his word says about this attribute. And we're going to talk about how do we apply that truth to our lives. And if you couldn't tell already, we're going to begin our series tonight by looking at the sovereignty of God. 
So you got your Bibles, open up to Isaiah chapter 46. We're going to read verses 9 through 11. The truth that God is sovereign means that God reigns over the entirety of his creation. God created everything. He rules, he reigns over everything. He has the right to exercise his sovereign control over all things. He's directly ruling over this world and all that he created. He is the ultimate, the final, and the complete authority over everything, over every person, over all that there is. He has the final authority over it all. He is above and he is superior to everything. He's chief. He's the greatest of all. He's supreme in power and rank and authority. He is sovereign. Look at Isaiah 46. Read verses 9, 10, and 11. It says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east The man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. So I want you to hear what God says about himself in his word. There is no other God. There is no one like our God. The God that we are reading about, the God of Israel, the God who wrote this book. There is is none other like him. And this God, he declares the end from the beginning. Before there was even a beginning, if we can even fathom this. He, he put it all into motion from the, from the end, from the beginning. The counsel of, of God will stand. What he decides, what he decrees, it will stand. And no one and nothing can thwart the plans that God has. None can deter God's purposes from coming to pass. I'm going to go ahead and give you point number one. I want you to see the awesomeness of God. I never thought that I would use the word awesomeness in a sermon, but here we are. I want you to see the awesomeness of God. Like we just read in Isaiah. He says, For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. That's how he describes himself. There is no one like me. There is no one awesome like him. There is no one mighty like him. No one, nothing matches him in power. In, in knowledge, in authority. He stands alone at the top of everything because he created it all. He's above his creation. So when we say that God is sovereign, what we mean is that he has the complete and the sovereign control over all things. He alone. It's, it's unique because he has it all by himself. He's got no help. There's no one outside of him that is helping him control. He's not sharing control with anyone or anything because there is none like him. 1 Timothy 6.15 says, He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the only sovereign. He's got supreme reign over all that exists. Psalm 103, 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. 
Listen to how many times God says in his word that he reigns. And this isn't even all of it. Psalm 93.1, the Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Psalm 96.10, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Psalm 97.1, the Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice and the many coastlands be glad. Psalm 99.1, can you guess what it says? The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. God reigns. God rules. God is sovereign. God is in control. There are no outside factors that influence God's decisions and choices. That's what it means when we say he is sovereign. When you and when I make choices, several factors outside of ourselves help us make that choice. For example, when you got dressed this morning, maybe you reached for a shirt or something and you looked at it and then you put it back because you remembered one time somebody said that the shirt was ugly. You know, no, no, I'm not wearing that one today. That wasn't all your decision. There were outside factors, outside voices that went into you making that decision. Well, the the point is, human decisions are sometimes influenced by factors outside of yourself, and that is never the case for God. Ever. Whatever he chooses to do is in line with his own purposes, his own wishes, his will. God's sovereignty means that he reigns over everything according to his own purposes. He controls it down to the smallest, most microscopic detail, like the 90 trillion atoms that are like right here. (laughs) He controls it all. The macro, the micro. He determines the day of everyone's birth and how many days will go by until their death. Job 14.5 says, Since his days are determined and the number of of his months is with you and you have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. Every single day is sovereignly or foreordained by God. Psalm 139.16 Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Every step of man is established by God. Proverbs 16, 9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. God decides the outcome of every lot that is casted. If you've read the Bible, you've read that before, the casted lots. Modern day equivalent, dice. The flip of a coin. Flip a coin right now. That is under the complete sovereign control of God. R.C. Sproul said this. I want you guys to look at this quote. He said, If there is one maverick molecule in the universe, one molecule running loose outside the scope of God's sovereign ordination, 
then ladies and gentlemen, there is not the slightest confidence that you can have that any promise God has ever made about the future will come to pass. God is sovereign. He rules. He reigns over everything. And only God has this control. It's, it's just him alone, seated on his throne like we just sang. The God of Israel, Yahweh God, he alone is sovereign. He alone reigns and rules over the universe. And I just want you right now to see how awesome he is. That's what I, that's what I want you to do. All these verses, all these things, that are, I just want you to just sit there and go, God, you're so awesome. You're so great. I want you to worship him. I want you to see that there is truly none like him. No one is like him. Just like he says in, his, in what we just read in Isaiah 46, I want you to see that. and go, God, you are awesome. There's none like you. There will never be anyone like you. This is only the beginning of the first attribute that we're going to study this summer, but I hope that already you're going, God, you are awesome. And when you see how awesome God is, first of all, it should make whatever idol you have in your life, whatever you are prioritizing ahead of God, God's awesome majesty should make your idols look like silly children's toys. It should just look silly that you're prioritizing this over such an awesome God. Whatever idol you have in your life, whatever it is that you're chasing after more than you're chasing after God, when you compare that thing to God and his majesty and his awesomeness, is that a word? Awesomeness? I don't know. I said it though. You know how when, when you were a kid, you had that one like super awesome toy? I'm talking about, right? Like there's that one toy like when you're like, oh man, that, that was the toy. That was the, oh, that was so great. For me, it was this thing called an ESPN game station. You guys ever have that? You know what I'm talking about? Nope. Cool. Well, it was just like, and it's not what it sounds like, ESPN game station. So it had like basketball, and then it had baseball, football, golf, soccer. I, I could be missing one, but this little game station, you could like lift up the net and then add the basketball, I mean, whatever. And it sat up in my playroom for like a long time. And my brother and I would play with it all the time. Well, like any toy, it got old. And we packed it up and we put it in the attic. A couple years went by and one day I was like, wait, where's that toy at? Where's the game station? Went to the attic, found it, I pulled it out. And to my surprise, I was extremely underwhelmed. I was like, what? What is this? It was, it was so, so, much, so much better. I, I remember this being so much better. Look. Maybe this illustration doesn't work. I hope it does. When you think about God and how awesome, how wonderful he is, whatever else you are filling your time with and you're prioritizing, whatever idol you have, it, it should be that underwhelming, silly child's toy. Just, what am I even doing? What is this? What am I, what am I wasting my time Tonight, I want to redirect your attention towards God's majesty. I want you to see how awesome he is. 
how wonderful he is. And I hope that whatever idol you have in your life, whatever you are spending too much time with, I hope that you see that, that that's a waste. That it's not, it's not God. It's not awesome like he is. I want your worship of God to deepen because of you just being awestruck by God and his power and how wonderful he is. I want your love for God to grow because of how amazing he is to you. That's not just the goal of tonight. That's the goal of the summer. That's what, that's what should happen as we study who God is and we become more enamored and just more just filled with wonder at who he is. Our love for him should grow. Our faith should deepen. Our worship should just be more. So I want you to see the awesomeness of God. God's word continues in Isaiah, and he says, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. God declares the end from the beginning. From the ancient days, he declared the things that would happen. The things that are unfolding today. God declared them in the ancient days. Before time even began, God's counsel will stand. His purposes will be accomplished. Here's point two. In light of God's sovereignty, I want you to trust that everything happens according to God's good plan. God has a plan for everything. God's plan is good. That's not just some cliche saying that we should put on our bumper stickers, or our bumpers and a sticker, right? That is true. His plan is good. His plan will come to pass, and it's, that's a guarantee. It's a guarantee from God himself who says, my plan will come to pass. Because in God's sovereignty, what he did is he predetermined everything. That's, that's how far his power, his reach is over everything. Before time even began, he put together his master plan. And that master plan contains everything that would ever come to pass. Ephesians 1.11 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. All things were predestined according to the counsel of God's will. So we're talking about the counsel of God. That doesn't mean that God went to counseling and God took advice from someone. It means that he had this all-wise deliberation within himself. He weighed every possible outcome for creation, for history, for eternity. And out of this counsel, he chose his will. 
according to his own perfect wisdom. God has one single plan for all of history, and this plan is what is happening. It's what will come to pass. God doesn't have a plan B. When we make plans, it's wise for us to say, okay, plan A, plan B, maybe a plan C. We don't know what's going to happen. God doesn't do that. He doesn't have plan B. It's plan A. That's it. That word predestined, what it means is to mark out beforehand. To mark something out beforehand. So the final destination of history, what would happen throughout history, it was determined by God before it even began. He marked it out beforehand. And not only has God predetermined things in his sovereignty, it's not just that he chose it, but he carries out the plan that he chose. It's his actions. He's doing it. It's in his control. God sees to it that everything he purposed comes to pass. He planned it. And he puts it to action. Psalm 115.3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. What God pleases to do is what happens, and it's what he planned to do. Every event of history happens according to the script that God wrote because he declared the end from the beginning. So since God has predetermined everything, we're going to look at a few different areas of, of, of life that his sovereign plan oversees, okay? The, the first thing is he is sovereign over creation. Sovereign over creation. He used his sovereign authority to speak creation into existence. He spoke the universe into creation from nothing, and he acted alone in this. Job 38.4 says, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. It's God talking to Job. He says, I laid the foundation of the earth. I spoke it into existence. Psalm 33. It says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their host." He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. God planned to create everything that he created in that counsel of his will. And then he spoke it into existence. He created, and he preserves creation. Acts 17, 28, in him we love and move and have our being. He preserves it. God did not just create it and then set it into motion, and he's like, done. He is the preserver of, of everything that he has spoken into existence. He's the creator of all. He owns it all. Psalm fifty ten. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. Everything, God says, that's mine. I made it. I created it. So it belongs to him. So he's sovereign over creation. Second thing is, 
He is sovereign over time and history. He's sovereign over time and history. Every event in history has happened within God's sovereign control. Wait. Every event. Every event, Jacob. Every single one. Even the original sin. Yeah. Even that. He was presiding over the fall. Understand? He's not the author of sin. That's an objection to this, this teaching about God's sovereignty. The, the, the big objection is you're going to hear people say, that makes him the author of sin. So you're wrong. No. It doesn't make him the author of sin. He hates sin. He can't sin. He's not the author of it. But the first sin, it was a part of his divine plan. Look, I know how that sounds. I, I know. I know. But God's sovereignty demands for that fact to be true. I want, you, I want to put your eyes on this passage. Go to Acts chapter 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 23. I don't just want to read it. I, I, want you, I want to read it. I want you to look at it with me. Acts chapter 2, verse 23. It says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. The crucifixion of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus. It happened according to God's definite plan and his foreknowledge. It wasn't as if God's plan A was for Adam and Eve to never sin, but then, oops, uh-oh, they messed up, so, uh, okay, here's plan B. Jesus, go. That's not the case. Because we have in God's word that it was according to the definite plan that Jesus would die on the cross and take the wrath of God. And provide salvation for sinners. So God reigns over every moment of every day, throughout all history, eternity past to eternity future. That's how sovereign he is. That's how powerful he is. This includes all the good. This includes all the bad. You guys know the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. You've heard that before, I'm sure. The very end the very end, and all the way in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. He looks at his brothers after they sold him into slavery, and he went to jail. He was falsely accused of all these terrible things. And he, 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 gets, he ends up where he's at, and he saves his family. He's looking at his brothers, and he says, You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. God had control of that situation. The brothers didn't do something and surprise God and then God had to fix the situation. His sovereign control reaches over everything. Could God prevent all the bad? Could he prevent all the suffering? Yeah, of course he could. He's, he's sovereign. He could do that. 
And ultimately, we don't, we don't know why God allows certain things to come to pass. We don't, we don't really know. Like I said at the beginning, there's only so much that our finite human minds can understand. But we do know what he says in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So we don't, we don't know why God does what he does. And God doesn't ever owe us an explanation. He doesn't ever owe you an explanation for anything that he ever does. Because he's God. There's no one like him. His ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. Think back to Job. Remember the verse we read a minute ago? Where he said, Job, where were you when I created? You remember what was happening in that story? Remember what was going on? Job was asking God questions. He was questioning him. And God doesn't say, oh, here, you, you, like, I'll tell you exactly why I did everything, Job. I'll tell you. He, he says, where were you? Where were you when I created? Where were you when I did this? His ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. You have to trust that. As Christians, you need to remember Ephesians 1.11, that everything happens according to the perfect counsel of God's will. So by faith, by our faith in this good God, this perfect and holy God, things that we're going to talk about this summer, by faith you need to trust that his plan is the best possible plan for the world. That when he chose his plan, when the counsel of his will came to be, it was the best possible plan for the world. The best possible plan for you and for me. And it's also important to remember this, like just, just when you're reading the Bible. It's important to keep in mind that just because God allows something to happen, it doesn't mean that he approves it. There's a difference between his allowing something and then his approving something, okay? The Bible is clear, very, very clear, that God grieves over sin. He hates it. So again, an objection to what we're saying here is, well, if this is true, then you must mean that he approves of the sin, that he wants the sin to happen. No, because he grieves over it. He hates it but he does choose to allow it. And again, with that, we're left with, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So he's sovereign over time. He's sovereign over history. Here's the big one, the one that you're probably waiting for. God is sovereign over salvation. The salvation of God's elect, it's included in God's sovereign plan. If God is truly sovereign, as his word says, this has to be true. In the eternity past before time began, according to the counsel of his will, he predetermined, he predestined, he chose those that he would save. 
Ephesians 1, 4, and 5, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. 1 Thessalonians 1, 4, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Your salvation did not happen because you deserve it. Get that thought out of your mind. It's not a biblical thought. Your salvation did not happen because you deserve it. And listen, listen closely. God did not look through the tunnel of time. This is another objection to this. That people say, I don't like this, so here's what God did. I think, he, I think he looked through time, through the tunnel of time, to see those who would believe in him, and then he chose them because he let them choose first. That's not... It's not biblical. That's not what happened. Your salvation happened completely because of the will of God. It didn't have anything to do with you. Romans 9, 15 and 16. Romans 9, it's all about this. Read Romans 9. On the back of your worksheet where it says suggested reading, read Romans 6 through 9. Do that. Romans 9, 15 and 16. It says... I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. So Paul is clear. The Bible is clear. And then God actually has an answer for the objection to all this in the same chapter. Romans chapter 9. Here's the, when, when, you, when someone objects, no, that is that, I, no, that's not true. I don't believe that. Here's what his word says. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? Very similar to what he said to Job, isn't it? He, God says, I, I, I made this. I spoke this into existence. God does what he pleases because he's sovereign. Now, let me just make a couple comments about this, okay? And I hope that you, listen, I hope that you will hear me when I say this. First of all, a reason why people object to this doctrine that we're talking about. The reason why people object to it so often is because that sometimes this, sometimes a misunderstanding of this, it can lead to an arrogant attitude from Christians. Here's what I mean. You can have thoughts like, I'm chosen by God and others are not. I'm better. I'm, I'm just better because God picked me and he didn't pick others. I must be pretty great if God picked me. 
if this doctrine, if it causes you to have any sort of arrogant attitude at all, you are completely wrong. And you're just completely missing the point of what we've been talking about tonight. God's election, it should leave you in awe of your salvation. It should leave you in complete awe, speechless awe before God that he saved you. The correct attitude is, God, how wonderful, how merciful, how loving, how gracious you are to have saved a wicked person like me. You've got no grounds for boasting here. No Christian has any grounds for boasting. So if as I was saying this, you were, you were going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that's right, tell us. I want, it, yeah, I want everybody to know. Slow down, okay? If there's any arrogance there, then you are missing the point. Because this should humble us and leave us in awe of God and his salvation. And here's another thing. Another objection to God's election, God's, God's sovereign choice, is people will say that it, it does away with the necessity of evangelism. Maybe you've heard that before. God does that, then I, don't, I can just sit on my couch and I don't have to tell anybody about Jesus. Is that the truth? It's a misunderstanding. Complete misunderstanding, again, of what we're talking about here. This conclusion, it's a complete misunderstanding. This doctrine, what we're getting at, what it really does is it reminds Christians that evangelism is, is absolutely necessary. You have to evangelize. You have got to be sharing the gospel with people. Because there are people in the world who will respond to the gospel in faith. How do people hear the gospel? Through the word of God. Through the preaching and the proclamation of the word of God. God, in his counsel, in his perfect plan, he chose to use people to share the gospel with other people. So this objection, this, oh, no, there's no need for evangelism, is that. You, you, no, it's complete misunderstanding. Evangelism is 100% necessary. It's the Great Commission. And you need to be participating in it. The world is full of dead people. Ephesians. Full of people that are dead. And guess what? Once you were dead too. And so was I. And God will raise some of them from the dead through the proclamation of the gospel. So you have got to be participating in evangelism. This is not a cop-out. And that objection doesn't work. Everything happens according to God's good plan. He is sovereign over all things. So you need to trust him. The last part here in Isaiah says, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Whatever God speaks will be brought to pass. Whatever God purposes, he will do it. And this should bring us comfort. Christians, this truth should comfort you like, like nothing else. Why? Why should this comfort you so much? Well, what has God ultimately purposed to do? Revelation 20, 
Verse 10. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Number three. Have confidence in God's ultimate triumph. This truth should comfort you because God wins. No one will stand against. Nothing will ever push back on him. His his purpose is to triumph over Satan, over sin, over evil, and whatever God purposes will come to pass. It should comfort you. Satan's defeat is absolutely certain. Your future with Christ is absolutely secure if you trust in him. No resistance will ever rise up and defeat God. Nothing can thwart God's plan. Nothing can can mess with his will. If, If all the world, listen, if all the world's most powerful forces joined together and rose in opposition to God, There's nothing they can do. There's nothing that no one can do. There's nothing that anyone can do. That was bad grammar. Satan is no match for God. There's no need to tremble at the thought of Satan. Because he's not sovereign. There's only one sovereign. And that's our God. No matter how dark the world gets, nothing will prevent Jesus from carrying out his mission to build the church. The gates of hell will never prevail against him. So God has already predetermined the defeat of Satan. He's already chosen the day that Jesus will return. In the end that God has already described in his word in the book of Revelation, that is what is going to happen. When we read that, we should be comforted by this. Whether we're actually alive to see it or we're alive with him. Either way, we're alive. And it should comfort you. He will gather his people to himself. Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire. God's kingdom will be established. Christians will see God. Christians will reign with Jesus. The future is certain. His ultimate triumph is certain. So let me just end with this. The sovereignty of God, it should comfort you. It should comfort you. It should leave you in awe of God. To know that God is the only sovereign and to know that all things rest in the power of his hands, it it should be a comforting thought because of how good he is. You should be comforted to know that nothing ever surprises God. That's a comforting thing. Nothing ever surprises him. You'll be surprised by things in life, but it's not a surprise to God. Trust that his timing is always perfect and be comforted that nothing will ever knock God off of his throne. He will be ruling and he will be reigning forever and ever and ever. Amen. Let's pray.
God, help us to be standing in awe of you. God, I pray that, that we would know you more. God, that learning about your attributes, it would just set a fire in us and, and make us want to, to study you, to know you better. God, we are grateful and thankful that you are sovereign. Help us to be comforted by this truth. Help us to trust you. No matter what we're facing, no matter what's going on, help us to trust you because your plan is good. Your plan is perfect. Help us to live in light of this truth, God. Help us to to see the importance of evangelism, see the importance of just trusting you, of taking you at your word. God, so please help us to to take this truth, to apply it to our lives. As we're getting ready to go to small groups, help us to talk through it with wisdom and patience and discernment and, and, and help us, God, to apply it. Just God, we, we love you. We praise you and we thank you for, for who you are, for what you've done, for the things that you will continue to do for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.